Bedrosian throws to Sandberg, and the pitch is grounded to second base. Thompson has it, throws to first. It's over. 27 years of waiting have pumped on in. The Giants have won the pennant. Welcome back to the Thompson to Clark podcast. Brad, as of this recording, we are 11 days from Christmas. And I was wondering, you know, you have two daughters, uh, you know, they're, they're still, uh, you know, one at one is, uh, is your oldest heading to high school next year? She's she's a freshman in high school this year. Yeah. Okay. Freshman going on like senior in college. It's insane. So, so, you know, Christmas gifts and, and buying gifts is probably a little bit different. It's probably more along the lines of dad, this is kind of what I want versus, you and your wife picking things that you think like I, I know there's a transition period that that happens from the little kids to when they get a little bit older. So how where are you at with Christmas shopping right now? You, you know, so the kids when they were younger, it was very much like the list. Right. Here's the list. Dad, mom, this is what we want. Here's the, the stuff for Santa. Tell Santa we want this stuff. All right. So as they've gotten older, their list is like, you know every book they can find that they haven't read yet. <laughs> so, so that's their list. And a couple, you know, for the older one, it's some jewelry and a little bit of makeup. And, and, and that's it. Like, that's it. So we have to have the ears on all year long because they forget about stuff that they're like, oh, yeah, that's, uh, oh, yeah, that's great. I want that. And, um, you know, this would be good. So we, I think we've done a really good job this year of nailing everything on the list. A lot of the stuff on the list go to the grandparents, Mm -hmm. but I think we did a really good job of listening and making our own secret list throughout the year. Um, and we had two big vacations planned for this year. Couldn't go on either. So a little bit of extra cash, we were able to to tuck away and we just kind of kind of went a little crazy this Mm. Christmas and uh, a lot of, a lot of fun stuff that, you know, if they're going to be stuck in the house for another four five, six months, whatever it is, we've got some really cool things for them to, to kind of latch on to. And then my wife and I, we don't buy anything for each other. Um, We just kind of stopped doing that years ago. And it's more like, uh, uh, you know, Oh, we wanted to upgrade the TV in this room. Okay, cool. Merry Christmas. Here we go. Let's upgrade the TV. So, so that's the type of stuff that we do, but that's uh, cool. Yeah. That's kind of where we're at. what about you? With 18 kids now, I mean, it's got <laughs> well, uh, my, my stepkids, they are still at an age where, you know, my wife can pretty much like my wife kind of knows more what they want than they actually will remember to tell us because, <laughs> yeah. you know, they, they, they can bring up 20 different things uh, over the year and then forget about most of them. <laughs> um, but so she, uh, she handles it last year. I did a little bit more because it was my first Christmas with them. And, and they were they had like the boys specifically were really into one of them was into football. One of them was into basketball. So I was like buying them like specific jerseys and stuff. But then they just dropped both sports sports completely during the pandemic because it's not like they can actually go out and play them. So they just kind of lost interest. Yeah. And then uh, my stepdaughter, she's very much into Frozen. So I made sure to do the Frozen thing last year. But now, like, you know, uh, my wife is just she knows what what to get. And and so she she bought the the, the kids uh, their stuff. And then I bought uh, my kids stuff. And, and so she, you know, she didn't need to, to buy my kids anything. So we could, we just kind of split it there because, uh, I think we both, we both 
knew exactly what our children wanted and and then so it was like easier like she didn't have to go like what what is what does brian want like you know it's just like you know then then i gotta go oh yeah well he it's like no i'm just gonna buy yeah, it I, I know what he that. wants you know we'll, we'll give it to them together but you don't have to worry about it. it takes a little bit of the headache out of it but she was really good with my um my sister and my mom like she kind of when we we had seen them for thanksgiving so she kind of knew a little bit of just talking to them what what kind of crept into her mind so she t- did take care of that but yeah you know w- when the kids get older they you know they don't want a lot of small things they want like <laughs> one big thing right they're right. like one one or two things that are a little pricey so that that makes it it makes it easy I, I don't know if it's as fun as it was when you have like 10 gifts under the tree back in the day but uh but yeah so we're, we're in good shape i think i'm still waiting for some stuff i'm expecting the uh the shipping to be bad but i think i got things early enough to where we won't be too bad i had to uh, open a couple things that i picked up the box off the porch you know brought it in the house turned it one way and i heard and i go oh what was that that sounded like something was loose so (laughs) i had to take everything into you know directly into the room close the door lock it open it up check everything out take everything out test it make sure it was all good Mm -hmm. before i said okay i don't have to ship this back or anything so we've been lucky so far um a lot of cool things that that uh, are in store for the kids and i'm actually really excited about christmas because a lot of this stuff is like well i can do that too so it's you know so it's going to be a lot of like you know dad can hang out with you and do that stuff so yeah looking forward to it so this show is uh there's not a ton of news like it's a really slow part for baseball there's some interesting things if you're a hardcore giants fan there are some interesting things that we'll mention but you know there's not going to be a whole lot of of stuff going on in this show so this this show probably be a little bit uh, uh, it'll be it'll be more trim, you know. There won't be a lot of fat on this one, but uh, there are a couple things that we do want to talk about, and uh, so we'll talk about the Rule Five stuff for people who understand that. I imagine I, I think Rule Five is at least you understand enough what it what it what it's there for. Uh, we'll talk about this uh, Trevor Bauer YouTube video that Brad sent me. This this dude is wacky. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's uh, there's the story of the minor league affiliates. Last year there was no minor league baseball, so they're uh, paring down the minor league teams. And the Giants invited five teams to five minor league affiliates to be associated with them. We'll talk about that. And then if we have some time, uh, kind of want to get into this Cleveland Indians name. We were just talking about the Indians last week as uh, as kind of like an American League team that we would root for. And then the news happens that uh, they are going to possibly by 2022 get rid of the Indians nickname as part of their team name. And then at the end, we're saving it. We're just going to quickly go through our top three favorite Christmas albums. So that's going to be the show. But first, before we get into it, Brad, what are you drinking? Well, I <clears throat> we have a, another uh, local brewery uh, here that I, I love to support the locals. Uh, luckily, here in Reno, Nevada, our locals are awesome. Uh, a couple of them are starting to become West Coast known. Uh, one of them is Revision Brewing Company in Sparks. Um, 
I don't get their stuff as much as I should. They're a little bit on the pricey end. Um, but I, one of my favorite locals is Lead Dog Brewing. Uh, they have two locations in this very small area. They have one in Reno and one in Sparks. Um, but they put out a, a beer right around this time of year called Churro Please. And it is a uh, churro style beer. And, you know, a lot of people say, eh, you know, I, I like my beer to taste like beer. Well, uh-huh. you know, this one does. It's an ale, but it's brewed with, um, you know, it's got like a twist of cinnamon, um, really malty, just kind of has that really nice, uh, holiday feel to it. Uh, 7.2% really low on the IBUs. Um, the IBUs are inner, inner, I want to say international bitterness units. Um, and, uh, usually when you're, you have like a, a real bitter, when somebody goes, Oh, I don't like bitter beer. I don't like IPAs. They're too hoppy and bitter. You're going to get that number up into like the fifties, sixties, even the hundreds. Uh, but this one's at 20. So it's an easy drinker, nice and malty and smooth. Um, and it goes with the, with the Christmas spirit and, uh, the Christmas theme of our show today, I think. Excellent. So I had mentioned last week how I, I try and create reasons to go to total wine specifically so that I have something for this show. Do you need, do you really need to like create a reason? <laughs> just, just go. <laughs> Well, I mean, you know, in order to get the free shipping, we've got to get to a hundred bucks. And so it's usually around, you know, whether or not my wife is, uh, is needs a a wine refill uh, with bottles. But so I think I texted you uh, a photo of this bottle. I had actually got it a couple of weeks ago and it is called, uh, it is from the, uh, Breckenridge distillery. And it is their reserve blend bourbon. It is a little pricier than I would normally pay just for a bourbon, but I just saw, I saw the bottle and I was like, "Oh, this is this is kind of interesting." Uh, you know, I, I wanted to try something different. So they, um, I think it's from. Okay, so they say that. They are pushing the boundaries with a wide range of spirit and Colorado flavors. I, I don't really know what that means. Um, the the high rye mash is matured in a specially selected barrel from Kentucky, Tennessee, and Indiana. So it's a true Southern state celebration of high quality bourbon. Um, I always find this to be interesting because they'll say what the tasting notes are. And to me, like, I don't have yet. I mean, I've been drinking bourbon and whiskey for a little while now, but I still don't feel like I have that really acute taste. And this may simply be because I don't, I also don't really have a great sense of smell in general. So, um, but the, the tasting notes, it says, um, the appearance and color, bright glowing bronze, the nose aroma and smell, coffee with vanilla syrup, flavor taste palette, stewed fruit. Hmm. What is stewed fruit? <laughs> I uh, I guess that's just, uh, I don't even know. I wouldn't, I've never seen that tasting note before. Uh, so stewed fruit, rye, and burnt toast. It's another interesting one. Some things you, you may not think would go well together. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so the finish is a rich complexity that calls you back for more. And uh, 
This is it. It got a really good price. So I've talked about this website that I've uh, had a subscription to at some point called Flaviar. I don't have a subscription anymore, but it is a nice little. Um, it, it's a nice little guide to certain things. You'll see reviews like this got a really high review on Flaviar, which I didn't even read until after I bought it. But it's 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 cool. This is also the type of bourbon that you know it's not your necessarily your everyday bourbon. You're kind of you know only on special podcasting occasions. Uh, you're you're gonna bust it out. So really enjoying it. But uh, yes, that uh, and I now I got to figure out a new one for the next time. <laughs> well, the nice thing about Flaviar too, uh, from and, and I don't I don't subscribe to it, but I'd like to, is that when you get the bourbons, you don't have to crack them open right away. That's the nice thing about bourbon is you can kind of tuck it away, right? I mean, so you can build up your cash and then cancel and be done. The problem with the beer stuff like Tavor, which I occasionally jump into, with beer, like, you know, refrigerator life, especially with hoppy IPAs or light ales, is six months and that's it. So I get to the point sometimes with beer where my wife goes, you know, hey, I'm going to um, Rayleigh's. Do you want me to look for any beer in particular? And then I look in the fridge and I go, oh, my God, I I have so much to drink. Uh, <laughs> don't get me anything else. And she's like, what if I see? Don't even tell me. Just don't get it because I, I I'm so far behind and I drink, you know, like a beer a night. Right. But the, the stuff I have in my fridge could last me months and months and months, especially when it, you know, Christmas rolls around and the holidays and you're like, oh God, you know, I got to get Sierra Nevada celebration ale. I got to get some cinnamon ales. I've got to get some different stuff. So that's the nice thing about the bourbon is you can just tuck it away. Doesn't go bad. Sits in a you know, nice dark mm-hmm. space and you're good for a long time. So. All right, let's get into this stuff. Now, the rule five draft was uh, last week. And Andy Bagley wrote uh, kind of a funny piece about the Rule 5 draft and it it being like the end of the winter meetings and nobody really cares. Um, so the Giants picked up a guy by the name of Dedniel Nunez. He's a right-hander from the Met system. Uh, who's, uh, it says he threw, he hit 70, or I'm sorry, 97 in the instructional league a couple months ago, which is a little bit higher than what I was reading from a, uh, an, a Mets insider blog from uh, last year around this time. Uh, at that time, they had him as their 14th ranked prospect in the Mets organization. They had him at around 94 as the top of his fastball was concerned. Uh, and, you know, he he he, uh, he pitched in the Gulf Coast League. He did he didn't do great, but the one thing that he did do was strike out nine point three batters per nine innings, and then he went into a low A in Kingsport. Uh, he almost was at nine uh, per nine again. And then he, I don't know if this was, uh, if this was high A or, or not, but in 22 innings, he struck out 33 batters and then he pitched in St. Lucie, uh, and he struck out 61 over 57. So the kind of like the one, I, I, I guess the one statistic that stands out in what the Giants look for in pitching, and this is most teams, is the ability to strike guys out. And so 
I think the Giants look at their, and we, we mentioned this in the, in the last couple shows, they look at their system for pitchers, for being able to take either, you know, rehab a, a pitcher or take that pitcher sort of to the next level. And Daniel Nunez fits that mold for them. And uh, so, I mean, I, I don't know. It doesn't seem like rule five draft picks really pan out. And I guess the 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 rules actually, it's somebody who's not on the 40-man protected roster, right? Is that is that how it works? Right. So it's a guy who is not on the protected roster, um, you know, forty man roster for another team. He has to also have, and I can't remember exactly, but a certain amount of time in the minor leagues as well. So it can't be a guy that was drafted last year, or the year right. before. I, yeah, it looks like five. it is. So according to the MLB. And I'm sorry, I didn't have this up when I when when we started talking about it. I had something How else. Dare up. you? But dare okay, so players signed at age 18 or younger need to be added to the club's 40 man within five seasons, or they become eligible for the Rule Five draft. Okay. Players who are signed at 19 or older need to be protected within four seasons. And, so and that's you, what makes these guys available. And you know how we know all this stuff. <laughs> over the top baseball. Yes, yeah. Out of the park. Or, I'm sorry. Out, out, yeah. Outside the park. <laughs> Sometimes it is over the top. Sometimes <laughs> you get, you know, you're in it five hours and you're like, this is over the top. I played this way too long. So out of the park baseball. If you want to really understand the behind the scenes rules of what it's like to be a general manager in Major League Baseball today, get yourself out of the park baseball. I think it's only what, like 10 bucks right now? Uh, yeah, they hurt. do. They do the sales once the season's over because they got to build up for the next season's game. Yeah, so it's only like ten bucks. You get in; it's a simulation game. You don't play the game. You don't actually like swing the bat or do any of that stuff. You make all the decisions as a general manager or a manager. Um, the beauty of it is you learn the Rule Five draft. And, and let me just tell you real quick uh, something that happened to me twice, and I'm totally guilty of this. And I don't know if it's ever happened to you, but the timing of free agency in that mm-hmm. game, you you grab a free agent and then uh, this has happened to me a couple times and the next day is the rule five draft and (laughs) and I've signed somebody and I forget to put that guy on my 40 man Mm -hmm. and then somebody in the rule five draft grabs the free agent I just signed to like an eight year hundred million dollar deal kills me can I tell you the one that happened to me not not rule five yeah expansion draft and this was in a previous time that I played I sign Kurt Schilling and then I can't add him to my 40 man because of it must have been like a timing thing. And then he's the first pick in the expansion mm. draft for Florida <laughs> Marlins. And I couldn't feel like I actually I actually went uh, back into the file and made sure that I didn't save it because I'm like, no, screw that. I'm not going to allow that. To yeah, right. <laughs> and bad. I didn't. I, my, my problem was I have it set to autosave after everything. So as soon as that happened, I was like, oh, no. There, and it was Roger Clemens. I think it was like a five year, oh, man. You know, $100 million deal. It was like peak Roger Clemens. And, and that was the end. I was like no so 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 the the other part of this is um the though the teams that do make a pick in the rule five draft i think the giants had the 12th pick a lot of teams don't even make picks like they don't want to add any anybody 
they must pay a hundred thousand to the club from which said player was selected. The rule five draft picks are assigned directly to the drafting club's 26 man. So they are automatically added and then must be placed on outright waivers in order to be removed from that roster during the season. The Giants have made some selections over the last couple of years and then just had to send them back because they, they couldn't keep him on the 20, the, the 26 man. So should the player clear waivers, he must be offered back to his previous team for 50 K and then can be outrighted to the minors. Only if his original club does not wish to reacquire him, a rule five draft pick can be placed on the major league injured list, but he must be active for a minimum of 90 days to avoid being subject to the aforementioned roster restrictions. So this, we're talking like, super deep, deep, like <laughs> collective bargaining baseball stuff. Yeah. Um, but you know, that, that was, that's literally, that, that was the big news this week is dead Neil Nunez. What did, what'd you think about dead Neil? Well, you know, again, a flyer on a guy who throws hard. Okay. I mean, you, when can you not use a guy like that in the bullpen? And the reason why rule five draft picks have really increased over the last couple of years, um, it used to not happen very often. Rule five draft, you get like three guys would go. In the, in the entire draft, and that would be it. It's because this time of year, your rosters would be rounded out. Free agency would be coming to an end. Free agency in this day and age, the last few years, really hasn't even started yet. And, and we won't really see a start until after the first of the year and it starts to bump up. So guys can take these, these flyers on some players and say, well, I've got, you know, the Giants have what, six spots on the 40 man, I think right now, or five spots. Um, so they can jump into the rule five and grab a guy and say, well, cool. If we can't go out and get our targets in free agency, at least we've got, you know, dead Neil Nunez, right? So we can throw him into the bullpen, see what happens. If not, and they've round out who they've got, you lose 50 grand, you drop the guy through waivers and he goes back to the team. No, no big loss, no, no problem at all. Um, so I think that that's why you see in the rule five draft now, almost every team is picking a player and it gets it in the second round. Some, some teams are taking a second player because of free agency and how long it's taken. It gives these guys, these guys, these guys who were prospects years ago, just kind of that second life in major league baseball, um, a chance to go to another team. If they're roadblocked somewhere else, because they can't get into the bullpen like with Nunez the, with the with the Mets, then you know the Giants have a quite a few openings. He he was a starter, so mm -hmm. I mean, there's a chance he could make some starts, but uh, it really looks like in everything that sounds like they really want to move him into the bullpen, which makes sense. I mean, you got a fireballer, you know, let him let him let it all hang out for an inning, right? So the best. Rule five draft pick of all time is Roberto Clemente. Yeah. By the Dodger, I mean, by the Pirates, who uh, the Dodgers signed him. Uh, they did not bring him to the main team in Brooklyn. They sent him to Montreal. He only had 155 plate appearances. Uh, and then the Pirates grabbed him in the Rule five draft that November and they put him in the majors immediately. And he became one of the greatest outfielders of all time. Good job, Pirates. Bad job, Dodgers. Yeah, I, you know, I like that you mentioned that because it is so nice every now and then just to hear the Dodgers completely screw something up. And then that feels so good to know that they could have had Roberto Clemente and they didn't. I mean, that 
that's warming, heartwarming. Yeah. All right. Let's talk a little bit about Trevor Bauer. You sent me this video of him on YouTube, his own YouTube page. He's talking about the top five teams who have a shot at signing him. And he's basing it on these three analytics that he is. He is personally giving points to. And the Giants are in that top five. The Yankees are number five. and The Giants come in at number four. Does this mean anything? Is he just being a goofball? Like, what do you think this stuff is all about? You know, and, and he kept mentioning too. He said, "Now I'm not narrowing this down. This is the top five uh, fan bases who are coming after me. So, not uh, this has nothing to do with Giants uh, general management and ownership." Nothing to do with any of these other teams, ownership and management, you know, in this list. But it's just a matter of what fan bases are coming at him on social media hard to get him to sign with their team. Um, so the top five, number five is the Yankees with 16 points. He went 10 points each for consistency, creativity, and volume. So he gave an eight for consistency for the Yankees, four for creativity, four for volume for a total of 16. Now the Giants, we we came in fourth, right? So this should tell you guys on social media, guys and gals, get out there, tag him, Make some really bad uh, photoshops of him in a Giants uniform because he loves that stuff. Uh, get out there and just push for him because he eats this stuff up. And who knows? It may sway him one way or the other. But he gave us a nine for creativity because... Giants fans have been going after, uh, and in a good way, not a bad way, going after Rachel Luba, who is his um, his, his uh, agent uh, in negotiations for his free agency. And uh, she is on Instagram. Uh, so we went ahead and followed her as Thompson to Clark. We went ahead and followed her just because I want to see how this kind of plays out. This is pretty <laughs> interesting and fun. But she grew up in the Bay Area as a huge Giants fan. So Giants fans caught on to that and have been going at her saying, hey, you're a Giants fan. You know what it's like to be a Giants fan. Make sure you tell him what it's like to play in San Francisco and how much love he's going to get and everything else. But consistency was down. He gave us a five and he gave volume a four because he said he'll see these waves of Giants fans come after him. And then that's it for a while. And so I went ahead and I made us a really nice Photoshop. Um, so go check out our Twitter, Thompson Clark, and you'll see on there a nice, a nice Photoshop I made uh, um, of melding the shimmy together of uh, Johnny Cueto and Trevor Bowers walk off the mound shimmy um, and pointed it towards him to say, you guys can, can bring this together and have the biggest shimmy in major league baseball and just destroy other hitters. So, um, so it's, it's a fun video. The guy's goofy, like you said. He, he's out there. He's a little bit wacky. But it's fun. It's a fun little 16-minute video. I think I put it on our Facebook page. I also put it on our Twitter page for everybody to check out. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about the minor league affiliates. Last season, there was no minor league baseball. And how do you check in on your team? Future Giants when they cannot even play. They they had a uh, they had a site. I think it was in was it in Sacramento where they brought most of their top prospects. Yeah, that was uh, Sacramento. Whatever they called it, I can't even remember what they called it now. Um, 
but anyways, it was basically like a camp. It was just a campsite where you went, hung out, waited to be called uh, to be part of the the taxi club that followed along in case there were any COVID uh, situations or any injuries or anything else. So. so what happened this year is I think there's there was a lot of wondering about what's going to happen to the minor league season. And so the Giants and other teams did their invitations to the minor league teams that they would like to be affiliates. So the Giants invited the River Cats, the Richmond Flying Squirrels, which is their double A team, the San Jose Giants, which is their low A team. They invited all of those teams back. And then they also invited the Eugene Emeralds, who will now become the high A team. Uh, The San Jose Giants, historically, uh, the California League was a high A league. It is now going to be a low A league. So, uh, I, you know, as far as what that means for some of these other like i mean when i was uh, a kid shreveport was the the double a <laughs> yeah. affiliate right and, and then clinton, Fres- remember clinton yeah. was the single a i believe back in the day for the giants and they're no longer by the way clinton lumber kings uh were affiliated with the miami marlins and they were left completely out of realignment so that clinton team if you remember the clinton giants that is now officially gone and then the giants lowest affiliate the augusta green jackets not returning they are now atlanta's low a so i don't really know how all of this stuff you know gets sorted out but um at least it sounds like there's going to be a place to to play for these guys now and and this is more important than ever for the giants as they rebuild their farm system but i guess what's interesting to me is Like, does Lucky Luciano, does he go to Eugene or does he start off in San Jose? Like, like where, where do guys, you know, what, what is the difference between someone who's low A and high A? Yeah. And that, that's kind of hard. And my understanding is that low A is basically... Um, you know, uh, a lot of the college, still kind of college level guys. And I, and I would imagine Luciano is not a college level type of player. Uh, he's probably going to be a high A guy. Uh, high A is, you know, more of the beeline path to the major leagues. Uh, so from high A, you're going to hit that double A. Um, they've always said double A too is, is more of the, uh, more of the, the type of major league pitching that you're going to face. Triple A is a lot of times some of the older guys who didn't mm-hmm. quite latch on. Uh, but double A is where you see your competition. Double A is where you, we, we're going to see the type of player who you really are. If you falter at double A, there's a really good chance you won't be a major league baseball player. Uh, not too many guys. That's why back in the eighties, you know, Will Clark and Robbie Thompson were double A boom, right back, right up to the giants because mm-hmm. they just flourished in double A, no reason to go to triple A, but, but, but low A is more that, um, you know, the guys out of, uh, the, the guys out of, uh, uh, high school, did I say high school or college? I meant, um, I think you, uh, I think you said college. Yeah. So sorry. So, so it's actually the, the high school kids will be more, um, 
low A, I believe. I've got to look into this a little bit more, but 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 either way, it's you know it's kind of a more of a shorter season for guys too because the draft is in June, so you're going to hop into a team a little bit later. Um, you're going to see lesser competition. Uh, at, at low A than you did at, at, at high A baseball. Um, so a little bit lesser competition in San Jose, but you're still going to see f- future players for the San Francisco Giants, which is always exciting um, at whatever level you see. Uh, here in Reno, we have the AAA um uh, affiliate of the Arizona Diamondbacks. We have the Reno Aces. So anytime Sacramento's in town or back in the day when it was Fresno, we, I would really try to get out to the ballpark because I got to see Buster Posey. Got to see uh, when when Fred Lewis was out here making mm-hmm. a you know a rehab start. Uh, uh, Bumgarner was making a rehab start once. I got to see Hunter, Hunter Pence a couple of times. So um, AAA is always fun for those rehab starts. And San Jose is a good spot for rehab starts as well. Um, now, will that continue? Uh, we don't know, but it, it is in, in close proximity to San Francisco, which makes it a good place for mm-hmm. a rehab start. You're just trying to throw pitches, especially if you're a pitcher and you're doing a rehab start. You just want to go out there and make some throws, and they just want to get your numbers up before you make it back to the big club. So according to Wikipedia, the Class A advanced, which is what we were calling high mm-hmm. A, is often a second or third promotion for a minor league player, although a few high round, uh, high first round draftees, particularly those with college experience, like you said, can begin at this level. For the Class A, which is the low A, uh, these leagues are a mix of players moving up from rookie leagues as well as occasional experienced first year players. So I guess my question is, I, I, are, are rookie leagues like not happening this year? Like, w- what is the story with that? You know, that's a good question. And and I think it still all has to kind of shake out. I I don't really know exactly what they're going to be doing. Um, And I haven't read up on much of that because they just made this decision about a week ago uh, to pare down all of these all of these situations, all of these uh, all of these affiliates are down to one hundred and twenty. So, yeah, I don't I don't even know. Uh, I honestly can't answer that question. I'm not sure how they're going to phase that all in now. Yeah, I mean, you know, the short season affiliated leagues, I think those are gone. I don't know if that means forever or just for 2021 because of the, uh, you know, everyone pretty much losing money or at least not, um, you know, not earning as much money as in the past because of the pandemic. So I I wonder if that's just for 2021. I would assume so. I would assume if we get back into a normal season that that those will come back because those seem to be necessary when it comes to, you know, I think the draft was a little bit shorter, so maybe there's not as many players in each um, in each system. But uh, it still seems like you're going to have a lot of guys who were, you know, maybe late draft picks out of high school uh, who would not really do very well in low A. Yeah, and it and it kind of seems like from reading some of the articles over the week. It almost sounds like that rookie level, that short season A, that is now low A. 
And, and so you might see a huge rotation of guys come in and out of San Jose as, you know, they make room for the draft picks. They, they make room for guys that they sign, um, you know, kind of, uh, you know, 17, 18 year old uh, free agents that they sign and need a place for them to go and just get some get some reps. So you might see a lot of turnover in San Jose now, a lot more than you did before. And in single A, you'd see it. Uh, especially back in the nineties, we, we saw it, but it wasn't huge. It wasn't that big of, of turnover. It would happen about halfway through the season. Um, for sure, the San Jose Giants, anytime they went to the playoffs, it was funny because we'd be broadcasting the games all season long and then you get to the playoffs and all of a sudden you got a completely different team. Yeah. Uh, you know, because you get those call-ups uh, to the big club, especially if the big club was struggling um, and didn't finish well. Well, in September, they'd be like, well, let's take a look at some of these single-A guys and they mm-hmm. bring up, you know, Damon Minor and, and uh, Mike Glenn Denning and guys like that. And so we'd see them and go, oh, great, we're going to look great in the playoffs and then your big home run hitters are gone. So, mm-hmm. uh, but you might see a lot more of that in, in a low A type of situation. All right. I, I, you know, we, we do this often where we sort of have a big appetite and then we actually get into the show. We're like, oh no, like we don't really have time for this thing. <laughs> the reason why I'm going to move off of this thing is because I actually want to have a, a fairly decent discussion with you on our next show. And, you know, it's nothing is going to change right now. So uh, it's, it's no reason for us to just give like a a two minute version of of this story but the cleveland indians um they are they announced that they're going to change the team name a lot of people have some interesting feelings about that uh and what we wanted to talk about is you know what what could they name the team and uh you know also whether or not we think that happened was the indians an, a name like the redskins i i don't think it quite was though you know we i i'm not somebody who um you know who's probably the the right person to make a decision on this but uh it'll be interesting to see what happens uh, you know the the atlanta braves the florida seminoles and you know teams like that as well that uh that are named after um you know american indian tribes and such so We'll save that for for next week uh, because uh, I wanted to give enough time to go over our favorite Christmas albums, which we talked about doing. I think next week we'll also do maybe Christmas movies as the last show before Christmas. But uh, yeah, so we each thought about our top three and we will uh, we will break them down here. So did you want to go first? Yeah, well, let's let's do this. Let's each give our number three. Uh, I did a couple of wild cards, just two, because oh, I, I got have, the wildest of wild cards. I, I can imagine you do. <laughs> um, I, I have all together, I think between CDs and vinyl records, I think I have like 70 or 80 Christmas albums. Um, I, I love Christmas music. I think it was a lot of them were written. A lot of the songs were written very well, um, you know, by some of the most famous writers in the history of music, Tin Pan Alley, uh, the great American songbook. A lot of those writers just really just came out with their best stuff when it came to Christmas music. So let's, let's alternate. Let's do a number three each. So my number three of my top three is the Brian Setzer Orchestra from 2002. Now he's mm-hmm. gone on to do four or five different Christmas albums. Uh, he does a Christmas tour every year. We got a chance to see him in Reno, Nevada here uh, about three, probably about four years ago. Took the kids. Just a fantastic concert. If you love big band, if you love horns, 
If you love awesome guitar playing and a lot of Elvis swagger, uh, I, I went with the Brian Setzer Orchestra 2002 album, his first Christmas album called Boogie Woogie Christmas. Uh, there's a duet on there with Anne Margaret. Uh, there's the Les Brown Orchestra, big nutcracker suite with horns of plenty. Uh, it swings. If you don't like the nutcracker and you don't like ballets, you've got to hear the song because it swings big time. So that's my number three. Okay, I'm going to preface this by saying I have two Christmas albums that I listen to every year before Christmas. With Apple Music and Spotify, if you do some searching, there are Christmas albums that you did not realize even existed. Because <laughs> and I probably have them. <laughs> well, every artist that you can think of that has had somewhat of a career has done a Christmas album. Uh, I was looking through because I hadn't, you know, I hadn't listened to certain ones before. And I was like, ah, oh, Whitney Houston did a Christmas album. I did not. I didn't. I, I'm sure I, you know, maybe I, I knew about it, but just never listened. And there's a really sad song on there because she and her uh, young daughter at the time uh, both did a song together. And, you know, Whitney passes away and not long thereafter. Uh, her daughter passes away as well. So that was really sad. Right. Um, there are Christmas albums, but I, you know, my, my style of Christmas album is, is, is very much, uh, the R and B style, uh, of, of Christmas album singing. So that's more along the lines of what I was looking for, but there's a Brian McKnight Christmas album. I think there's a John legend Christmas album. Obviously the Mariah Carey Christmas album is the, the, one of the biggest selling ones every one. Well, it, 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 because of how, uh, the music industry sells albums these days, because of this month, Mariah Carey's Christmas stuff just shows up on all the lists because it just gets played so much. I was working at a record store when that album was first released and oh man, it, we could not keep it in stock. It was absolutely insane. Okay, so all of that to preface that I really only have two go-tos. So this third one was a little bit more of like a, a funny pick because uh, last year around Christmas time on Facebook, I posted and I said, which is the better Christmas album between the Mariah Carey Christmas album? And I said that Crystal picked that one, even though I think she, she told me her favorite Christmas album is uh, Michael Buble. Mm, uh, great one. And, and so I, I gave her the Mariah one, and then I gave myself the New Kids on the Block Christmas album. And, you know, I, I got, got, got some heat, <laughs> got a few votes for myself there. Um, and the reason why this album is so memorable to me is because my sister's like a gigantic New Kids fan back in, you know, the late 80s, early 90s. I eventually started to like them mostly because it would always be on and I either have to like it or might, you know, want to poke out my ears. <laughs> but I, I actually do like some of their stuff, uh, a good, a good number of it actually. But what happened is, so this album, I think she, I want to say we had the album, we may have had it on vinyl, like back in the day, back in the day, then the album gets, it goes out of print. Like you couldn't find it anywhere. Really? And then I would say about seven or eight years ago on iTunes, they re-released it. And so it kind of had a little bit of a second life. But I will always remember watching Arsenio Hall introducing the new kids on the block, singing their Christmas song, Funky, Funky yes. Christmas. <laughs> and so... 
that is that is more of a joke pick, but you know, I, I that that's a very memorable Christmas album for me. But but you enjoy it. I enjoy I enjoy so it. So that's like, what matters. Yeah. So it, I get I get a kick out of it. it you know, if, if I get through it, I'll get I'll, I'll listen to it. You know, I'm sure I'll listen to it before Christmas. But uh, but yeah, that's kind of the fun one. My other two are definitely like my real top two though. Well, let's. I'll, I'll get you through here pretty quick. Number two on my list is <clears throat> the the greatest singer in the history of of modern music. And any music for that matter, Frank Sinatra. He did two Christmas albums. One of them wasn't his first one in 1948. wasn't really a Christmas album. It was just kind of a put together of some singles. Uh, but in 1957, the height of his capital years, when he was ruling the world, not just American music, but ruling the entire world, uh, he put out a Christmas album called "A Jolly Christmas" from Frank Sinatra. It was arranged and conducted by George, Gordon Jenkins. Um, he worked a lot with Gordon Jenkins, Nelson Riddle, uh, but the songs on that list, uh, um, one of my favorite Christmas songs of all time sung by him is the Christmas Waltz. And if you've never heard that song, go listen to it, go listen to the Frank Sinatra version. You will just, you'll just melt into this Christmas wonderland. I mean, it's one of the greatest Christmas songs in the history of Christmas songs, but, uh, a lot of good stuff on there. Uh, I, I had to put Frank on this list, but he's not number one. He's number two, even though he's my favorite singer and one of my favorite artists of all time. Uh, it's a, it's number two. All right. <clears throat> so my number two is uh, 1967's Someday at Christmas by Stevie Wonder. Oh, yeah. Interestingly, I did not know this. So they release the title track someday at Christmas the year prior as a single. So he didn't even have the album and then the single does well. And I assume they, then they were like, okay, now we need to go back in and, and do a full album. But, uh, but yeah, so I, I really, I really like this is like when Stevie wonder, uh, you know, all of his albums, he's done so many of them, they get reviewed. People kind of slack on this a little bit because it is kind of syrupy and it's not like this, super genius thing that he would do over the next few years where he's sort of reinventing music to some extent. But I really like this album. It's, it's, you know, gosh, you know, one of the signature voices uh, in music history doing a Christmas album right before the peak of his ultimate powers in music. I, I like that part of it a lot. Yeah, that's interesting. And, and, you know, in the fifties and sixties, there, there wasn't a huge demand for Christmas music that that wasn't you know people weren't clamoring for it like they are now I mean every artist if you want to just make an extra couple bucks um, you throw out a Christmas album some of them are that are coming out now are really really bad uh, some of them are very very good you kind of have to put a twist on it so at that time that song was phenomenal I mean that that you hear that now like on every Christmas station um, that's such a well Put together song. Did he write that? Do you know if he wrote that? Song? I don't. Uh, let's actually let's check. That's okay. a good question. Um, the song is written by Ron Miller and Brian Wells. Um, it was produced by Henry Crosby. So yeah, it's kind of surprising that uh, okay. Wonder didn't didn't do it. But I, I, you know, the what the one thing I was trying to figure out is. 
was he the first one to do this? Because I just assume that every Christmas song is just like a, a remake of somebody, except for, you know, obviously Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer we, and, and Frosty the Snowman. Those are songs that have been done forever. But when, you know, when I look at Someday at Christmas, I was like, was he the first person to, to sing it? And it looks like he was, uh, which is which is pretty interesting because, you know, lot, everything now uh, when it comes to uh, the famous Christmas song seems like they've been just redone and redone and redone. And all, uh, all the Christmas albums that I own, I do not own that one. So I will actually look into that one because I, I do love that song. It's a the album is a short thirty four minutes, but I, yeah, I it's not very long at all. Up. All right, my number one. That's my drum roll. <laughs> uh, my number one all time favorite Christmas album was put out in nineteen ninety four. Oh wow. But it's an amalgamation of a 1957 album by this artist and a 1971 album by this artist. All of the Christmas songs that he had recorded were all put together in this 1994 compilation, Elvis Presley's Mm. If Every Day Was Like Christmas. That's the name of the album. That's the lead song on the album. But it's really cool because it kind of they put it in chronological order. So you get the first album, then you get the second album, then you get some really cool alternate cuts, but the packaging is really cool too. Cause you get it in this long box. Remember long boxes for CDs back in the mm-hmm, day, mm-hmm. it would, so you could just sit in the CD bin. It would stick up above. Well, it comes in a long box that when you open it up, it's a pop-up of, uh, in the middle in the gatefold in the CD, it's a pop-up of Graceland in the snow Oh wow! with, with Christmas lights on it. So it's really cool. But to me personally, and to my wife as well, uh, anytime you hear Elvis sing a Christmas song, it puts you right in the season. Um, I usually, if I put that album on, I've turned the lights low. I have only Christmas lights on. Usually grab a drink, want to sit on the couch and just relax and listen to Elvis belt out these Christmas songs. He was very, very big into Christmas music. And there's a couple of really good bluesy ones on there from the 71 album. So that, that is easily my number one uh, Christmas album of all time. All right. My number one is from 1970, released November of 1970 on Motown. It is the Jackson 5 Christmas album. And, you know, they, they do all the classics. Santa Claus is coming to town. I think, you know, the one that we hear on the radio the most is probably Springsteen's version, but I do hear this one on the radio as well. Um, the version of uh, of I Saw Mommy Kissing Santa Claus as well. They do a version of Someday at Christmas on this album as well. As, as well. It's not as good as Stevie's, but it's still really good because you get little Michael Jackson doing his thing. <laughs> but my favorite song, and it's, it's, I guess I would, a song that I get a kick out of is a song called Christmas Won't Be the Same This Year. And so the story of the song is that Jermaine is not with his girl at Christmas. Uh-oh. And so Jermaine is singing lead in, in this song. And Michael is like telling his brothers, like, come on, like, you know, Jermaine is, is really sad. Can't you see the tears in his eyes? <laughs> and so it's just like really, it's really bad voice acting. But, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it, but it's, it, it's, it's kind of fun. Cause you know, they're, they're trying to play that, uh, Christmas won't be the same this year because Jermaine lost his girl. He's heartbroken and 
you know, it's just, it's just not going to happen. So <laughs> I, I get a kick out of that song every time. But yeah, this is my favorite one. I will uh, I will play this multiple times during the season. Now, I'm looking at this and I'm, I'm a collector of music. You know that. I just, I love it. Um, there's a Jackson 5 Ultimate Christmas Collection. Yeah. That looks like it's the album plus a 12th track from the 2003 remaster plus another two, four, six, eight, ten, like, uh, like another, uh, nine tracks yep. of like remixes and uh, acapella version and then a Christmas medley. So is that the one that you have? No, I actually don't have that version. I only have the, uh, the re-release of the 1970 album. I'm sure, uh, I don't. I don't actually have the 2009 remaster. I definitely bought mine. I would say probably in the late 90s. So it's okay. just whatever that version of it is. So that's the one that's currently on my computer. Well, the 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 twelfth track in the ultimate edition is "Little Christmas Tree," written by George Clinton. Yeah, I noticed that. <laughs> wow, <laughs> that's that's pretty awesome. P-fuck. I'm to throw my wild cards out there real quick, and then okay. and then uh, uh, I'll be real fast. Two wild cards because I have so many Christmas albums that I like. Big Bad Voodoo Daddy from 2004. Everything you want from Christmas is what it's called. If you like, again, if you like the rompy, stompy, swinging, good time Christmas jams that you want to grab a bourbon and just sit back and listen and have a good time and listen to some cool stuff, that's a great album. And then I had to give props to my lady, Casey Musgraves. Mm. She has a Christmas album uh, from 2016 called A Very Casey Christmas. And she's got four originals on there. And I would put those four originals up against any other four original Christmas songs in the last, I'd say, 15, 20 years uh, because they are excellent. There's one uh, track on there with Leon Bridges that just blows me away every time I hear it. Um, If you get a chance, and if you have Amazon Prime Video, she has a Christmas special that came out last year. Uh, I've probably watched it with the kids like eight times. (laughs) You know, like probably four times last year and four times this year. Awesome. I love it. The music is phenomenal. There's so many cool guest artists on there and it's put together really cool like a a variety special in in like one big house and they go like room to room to do a song and it's really cool. So those are, those are my wild cards. Awesome. Yeah. I, I will, uh, I will probably listen to a lot more Christmas music this year just because, you know, we're all sort of at our computers while we're working. <laughs> yeah. Um, so if I find any more gems that I'd never heard, uh, before I will mention it next week, but next week we'll, we'll, we'll hit, we'll hit our favorite movies and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll sort of close the Christmas season out because the following week will be the last show of 2020 and Oh, what a 2020 it was. (laughs) I think we're ready to move on. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. All right. So for Brad, I'm double G. We will see you when we see you. Peace out. Peace.